there, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the On the Horizon RC Podcast. I'm Horizon CEO and your host, Chris Dickerson. With me, as always, Mr. Steve Petrato, our Marketing Director. Steve, I love these video podcasts. It is great to literally see you uh, <laughs> recording the podcast. Thank you for bringing this new technology uh, to us for the podcast. I love it. How are you? Oh, great. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're right. This video stuff is cool. Uh, I'm seeing a lot more people watching the podcast too on YouTube, which is good to see. Uh, but we hope you guys out there are enjoying it. You can see our smiling faces. You get to see a wardrobe change probably from intros to uh, <laughs> to the actual recordings as we don't quite record these the same day. But yeah, it's really nice. So I'm glad we're able to do it. But I'm great. It's uh, fall. It's beautiful. Well, not beautiful outside today, but the weather is getting better. It's not so hot anymore. Uh, hopefully the weather will dry up here in central Illinois. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to get out there and do some RCing this this uh, cool weather season. Yeah, it is kind of nice this when you get that, the, you know, the, the weather where you're not, you know, baking in the sun and, and sweating as soon as you get out of your vehicle. So <laughs> yeah, I look forward to seeing you out at the field. I, every summer I, I uh, make a promise that I'm going to fly a little bit more. And honestly, I never live up to it, Steve. So maybe <laughs> I'm going to, I'll try to get some last fall flying in here. So my batting average is a little better, but uh so maybe we'll have to, we'll have to get coordinated. Maybe we should do one of these out at the field together. And, yeah, that'd be uh, fine. I know there's plenty a little, of uh will fall you know flying and driving in before the we'll be talking about snow before we know it unfortunately <laughs> yeah unfortunately yeah there's plenty of leftover uh, samples from rc fest so we'll have plenty of stuff for you to fly <laughs> that's true that's true well chris uh i think it, it makes sense to jump right in we've you know wouldn't be a horizon podcast if we didn't talk about product but this week especially we had some really big news axial really made big news this week let's talk about it <laughs> yeah well pun intended uh you know they did axial came out with its biggest literal biggest release ever with the scx6 um it's a similar platform to the scx platform that people know in the scx10 and the scx24 both wildly popular and of course you know we we know the off-road crowd you know our, our most popular platform is always a jeep livery so we came out with a JLU, which is the current generation Jeep for folks that maybe don't know the, the Jeep designators, but that's a current generation Jeep, four door being the U, unlimited, um, you know, Jeep. And this thing is one six scale. I think it weighs like 25 pounds or something, Steve. I mean, I saw this a couple of weeks ago when I was out at, by the fire and, you know, I, I said they should warn you before you pick it up. Uh, because this thing, you, know, you need to, it's a team lift thing, you know, you need, you need a friend to help you get this thing off the ground, but it really does take the SCX platform to the next level. Um, again, six scale slot size, this thing is huge. Um, you know, we've got some great photos and videos out on the web team, you know, the marketing, marketing team is always does a great job, but you just see how much bigger this thing is than a 10 scale vehicle. It's literally like twice as big. Yeah. Um, really cool, super detailed looks. Um, you know, comes with metal gear transmission. It is configured for two speed, so a high and low gear uh, for folks that want to do that. It has the AR90 standard axles, so not portal axles on this one. So it's much very scale like the like a one to one uh, Wrangler would be. It's got the the three link front and four link rear suspension, so that really makes it handle properly. And then also to make that scale look the next level too. We uh, have their seven inch tall tires, Steve. <laughs> these things are huge. Uh, they're like a personal pizza, uh, but they're they're licensed BF Goodrich, uh, the KM3 tires on black Rhino Prim, uh, three piece beadlock wheels. So, 
I mean, this thing not only performs well, it just looks awesome and it's huge. So that announced here this week. Um, And, you know, another cool thing about it is it's all comes with Spectrum Smart. So it's got the DX3 radio that shows you um, your fuel gauge. Uh, You know, it's got the Spectrum uh, 40 kilogram waterproof uh, uh, servo. You know, the, the Firma uh, uh, censored speed control and motor, you know, this smart uh, electronics, Steve, is really amazing, especially with the Gen 2 chargers and batteries. I mean, it it's phenomenal and really takes not only this product, but any product you're using it in to a whole nother level of fun. Yeah, the, the Spectrum team has really hit it out of the park with Smart this year, especially. And now we're starting to see it in every single release that comes out, which is really cool. And not, yeah, not only is it easy to charge your battery, you've got more information at your fingertips than ever before. Uh, previously, you know, we had sensors and little wires we had to solder in. And now it's just plug in the darn battery and go have fun. And that's what it should be. You know, that's what we strive here at Horizon, making this hobby fun and innovative for, for everybody. Um, but if you if you haven't checked out Smart, I would really recommend you go to visit SpectrumSmart.com. Um, you can, there's a great new landing page we just launched with all the information about Smart. So how does it work? You know, what type of things you need to know, uh, which isn't a whole lot, but it's uh, we break it down really easily. So check that out. There's also some great uh, stuff at your, dealer, your local dealer. And uh, there's just we're just really hitting it with all different aspects of our marketing for the smart stuff because it really is it's it's game changing. It it, it puts obviously Absolutely. us in a different level, but it uh, as Horizon and as a competitor in the market. But for the customer, which is what I tend to care about the most, I think you and I both feel the same way. Exactly. Is it's that plug and play fun. It's like I don't have to think about charging my laptop or my cell phone. Now I don't really have to think about charging my LiPo batteries, which is massive. I don't know about you, Chris, but I've had a LiPo fire in my history. Not not anything that resulted in uh, danger. Uh, thankfully, I grabbed it in time. But that was that was in the past. I don't really worry about that anymore due right. to me setting up the charger wrong. That's huge. And then now having all this data, how many what my cells are doing, how many cycles are on my battery. Man, it's just it's like having a you know genius guy inside your RC car that tells you all the information yeah. for you. I just love the, even on the charger too, you know, you plug it in, you get the little fuel gauge. It tells you how, how charged the battery is, how long until it's going to be charged. It's just great. You know, you don't have to worry about it. And then I love the three buttons, even on the DX3. Of course, a great upgrade for this too is the DX5R Rugged, which is really dialed in, you know, to, to go well with something, any of the Axial line for sure. But yeah, it's great, you know, and you're going to get a ton of runtime on this vehicle with it being a crawler but it's still kind of nice to know you know once you get down to a quarter of a tank just like your car you probably need to start thinking about a, a you know fuel stop yeah. and uh it's it's just cool that like you said so much of the, the the data that's just at your fingertips and you know you can program a lot of the braking and the acceleration and all that sort of stuff so much easier with this now so i think you said uh and you're right i just i spent a little time this morning on the the updated spectrum smart page uh it's definitely worth folks checking it out one more time steve because i'll get the url wrong well, yeah just spectrum yeah, spectrum smart.com oh well it's pretty easy not only is it easy it's smart so great well uh so yeah big release from from uh axial this week and the cool thing is is that product should start shipping at the end of the month 
Yeah, and if you guys want to go check it out, definitely go and find your local retailer who is a uh, early access retailer. And you can find that out by going to horizonhobby.com. You can visit your the dealer locator that's located on the site. And if you type in your zip code and you see a dealer near you with the little badge on the next to their name that says early access, that Jeep will be at their store starting pretty much today. So uh, you can go out to your local hobby shop this weekend and go check out your uh, your your Jeep SCX6. You won't be able to buy it from them, but you can definitely check it out, push the suspension, make a decision, pre-order it from your local dealer or decide to pre-order it from uh, any of your online hobby stores that you choose. But Chris, I did get to drive this super early this morning before work. So uh, I was I got up real early and uh, went out to the quarry and, and drove around in the mud. It was a little wet. But yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I will say you were saying the, the battery gauge is, is important for a crawler. You don't want to carry this 30 pound truck back when your batteries die. <laughs> so it's even more important in that way. <laughs> Good point. No, you're right. So yeah, check it out. Go to your local dealer because I mean, the web, the videos for this are phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, but man, until you touch it and you lift it and you just see how well built and solid and big this mm-hmm. thing is, it's hard, to, it's hard to see. So yeah, check it out. Go to your uh, participating early access dealer. Get it on pre-order. You're going to want one of these. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Steve, let's. Uh, we've got a great guest this week. You know, uh, our, our whole goal with this podcast was to talk to people who are either in the RC industry or part of the industry or touched by the industry. And today's guest, he's not someone who has made his living in the RC industry, but it's really cool to hear how RC at a very early age impacted his trajectory that landed him into a job where he gets to go really fast uh, on a weekly basis. And uh, it's cool to hear he's, you know, with his family story today and getting kind of back into it, uh, working with Horizon. Uh, Great guest, great story. You know, today we're going to be talking to the Daytona 500 champ, Michael McDowell. So I'd say, why don't we go ahead and get to it? It's a great interview. It was so fun talking to him. Absolutely, Chris. Let's get right to it. Thanks. All righty. Thanks. Okay, everyone, today's guest is really exciting for us. He's been on the racetrack most of his life. At the age of three, he began competing in BMX racing, and at only eight years old, moved into kart racing. He's eventually moved up to open wheel racing and onto sports car and stock car racing, all before turning 23 years old. Um, At the same time, he was picked to join the biggest stage NASCAR has to offer, Steve, we have this year's 2021 Daytona 500 champion with us today. He recently also drove the Front Row Motorsports number 34 Ford Mustang for both Arma and Horizon at three races this season, and currently number 16th in the points in the NASCAR Cup Series. He's a father. He's an RC fan. He's a class act. We had such a great time. It was such an honor to get to meet him recently. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Michael McDowell. How's it going? Michael, Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the show. It's good to talk to you again. Um, I've been following you on social media since we were, uh, I was fortunate enough to come watch you race at New Hampshire. Um How's it, it big, exciting season for you? Uh, we'll get into all of it here. How's the season treating you and the Front Row Motorsports team since we last talked in New Hampshire? Yeah, so, you know, the, the season, if you look at the big picture, it's been awesome, you know, to, to win a race, to win the Daytona 500, to be in the playoffs. You know, those are all great things. But the last few weeks have been rough. And so it's uh, so 
if you asked me a few weeks ago, I would have told you everything's going really well. And it has. It's been a great year. But the last few weeks have been tough. And, um, you know, you have that in racing and motorsports. You know, you have your ups and downs. It's a long season. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're hitting our downs at the wrong time while we're in the playoffs here. But, um, you know, overall, it's been a great season. And, and we've been uh, really proud of our performance. We just, uh, yeah, hit a little slump here the last few weeks. Well, they always say my son's a baseball player and they always say nothing cures a slump like a hit. So maybe for you, nothing cures a slump like a, a win or a, a top 10 finish, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it is the same in racing. You know, you, you can't, you, people talk about momentum and they talk about confidence. And, you know, I've learned over the years that those happen organically. It's not something that you can artificially fabricate or, or tell yourself to, uh, to be confident or to have momentum, you either have it or you don't. And, and like you said, um, you know, you're only one race away from getting back on track and, and back where you need to be. And, um, so yeah, it's very similar to other sports is, you know, you got to keep swinging and, um, eventually when you get a hit, you know, things start to roll the right way again. Absolutely. Well, I gave probably didn't do justice to you a little bit there, but an overview of, of your career, but maybe you could just start at the beginning for us, you know, some of our listeners are maybe more RC folks, maybe not as, as familiar with you yet. Um, so maybe you could kind of walk them through your career, how you got started, and how does it lead you up to, to where you are now in the in the NASCAR playoffs? <laughs> yeah, so um, I started, like you said, I started racing BMX bikes when I was, you know, three years old. Um, and we sort of did that just as a hobby, as a, a family thing, you know, something to get outside and be active and do something. Um, and growing up in, in Glendale, Arizona, you know, the weather's nice all year round, you know, so just having something to do where you can be active and outdoors is kind of my family's idea behind it. Um, but that kind of gave me that competitive bug, you know, like when you, when you're racing and you, you know, you have somebody that you can potentially beat and then all of a sudden it becomes uh, more than just fun. Um, so, yeah, so that's how it started for us. Um, and then I think I was probably about six or seven when I got my first RC car for Christmas. And um, my, my birthday falls on December 21st. So I'm like one of those Christmas babies. Right. So it's good and bad. The, the good part about it is, is I usually got bigger gifts you know, like um, rather than getting a bunch of little stuff, I would get something really cool. Um, so that was my, my first RC car. I think I was about six or seven. Um, and we actually did that competitively, too. I started racing RC cars, you know, kind of the same as, you know, you just play around a little bit. And then all of a sudden you find out that there's a track that you can go and you can actually race and compete against other other guys and, um, you know, other people. So that was something that we enjoyed doing. My dad, he always he always laughs about it, but you know, he, he spent so much time fixing my RC car all the time. I mean, like I was, <laughs> I just was a, a maniac all the time with it. And, uh, I'm getting the experience that now with my kids, um, they definitely bash pretty hard. Um, so, but that was, you know, that was another form of racing that I did. And then we, we kind of transitioned from RC cars to go-karts. And, um, which was kind of interesting, that transition, you know, the, a lot of what I learned as far as, you know, just the overall physics of an RC car applied to a go-kart, you know, pretty, um, low CG, stiffly sprung, 
um, cambers, toes, tires, you know, weight distribution, all that sort of kind of applied when I got into a go-kart. Um, so go-karting is where I really started that, you know, honing the skills, um, that you need to, to be a professional race car driver. And, um, you know, we started out, you know, just doing it fun locally and racing, you know, our local club. Um, and then after, you know, a few years of figuring that out and, and winning races, we started traveling and, and started traveling, you know, just around our region and then all around the country. And then I ended up racing go-karts internationally. And, um, so yeah, from the time I was probably 12 or 13, I knew that I wanted to race. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and it was, it was a real possibility just based on, you know, the results that I was getting in karting and the opportunities that, you know, could potentially present themselves. So, um, so that was kind of my childhood. Um, uh, I raced every single weekend. I mean, um, from the time I was eight years old and well, I'm still racing every weekend, so I haven't stopped that. Um, you know, it's all I've ever done and it's, uh, something that we, we did as a family and traveled and, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, when you were racing, uh, RC cars, do you remember what you were kind of driving back back then or, or was there a specific class that you raced or were you just kind of doing some bashing on the side or was there actually racing that you were doing? So it started out as, and I don't remember exactly what I got, but it was some form of a truck. Um, so I started out as a truck and, you know, you just jump that thing off your driveway curbs and all the, the crazy stuff that you could. Um, but then we found a, we had two tracks. We had, we had an outdoor track that I could race the truck. And then we found an indoor carpet track too. Um, okay. I don't even know if those are, you know, still around. So oh, yeah. once we went to one of those races, I ended up getting a pan car. And that got really serious, really fast. You know, all of a sudden, you know, went from, you know, you're just worried about keeping the tires on it to lightweight, everything, you know, motor upgrade, everything upgrade. Um, so yeah, so I sort of had both the, the off-road outdoor and the, uh, indoor pan car stuff. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It's really cool to hear you say that too. We were talking to, uh, to RJ Grider a couple weeks ago. He's a, he does full scale aerobatic, um, oh, cool. flying. Yeah. You should check out his, his flying. It would, it would scare you and you're a, you're an art, a, a, a race car driver, but, uh, it's amazing to hear though, like you said, physics are physics. And, yeah. you know, again, as a kid, he, he was, a an RC enthusiast and learned a lot about, you know, aviation and ended up getting two degrees, I believe in aviation. And to hear you talk about how you learned a lot of, you know, the race physics, from RC is, is, is kind of cool and pretty awesome that it can take you from pan car racing, which is pretty, uh, that's pretty specific to NASCAR yeah. is, is cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. What was it, what was it like kind of transitioning from, you know, all that and then getting out on the NASCAR stage for the first time? It was a, that was that a big transition for you or was it kind of, okay, yeah, I've been working my way up over the years and then here we go. Uh, this is the big leagues or, or was that, not natural for well, you. Were you nervous or was it crazy? Yeah, I'll kind of, um, I'll take it from the go-karts, but, uh, from go-karts to formula cars, that, that jump okay. was really seamless. Um, mm -hmm. it's a very smooth transition, you know, as far as just overall what I'm, you know, doing and processing as a driver, you know, just on a bigger scale. Right. Um, right. but that was very seamless. Um, and so going from carts 
to cars was easy. Um, going from formula cars to sports cars was a little bit of a transition just because you're going into, you know, cars that are a little heavier, you know, maybe they have similar downforce, you know, so just, just different, but going from sports cars and, and Indy cars to NASCAR was, was a huge jump, completely different, you know, discipline as far as, um, you know, just what I had to process as a driver things that I had to relearn. So that, that transition was really big actually. Um, so, you know, the, the overall seat of the pants and feel and all that stays the same between the different disciplines, but, um, knowing what you need in a race car, how you approach, how you attack certain corners, you know, that all changed when I got into stock cars. And I would say the biggest thing, you know, between the stock cars and an open wheel car or an Indy car is that, you know, an Indy car is very lightweight, nimble, has a lot of downforce, um, very responsive. And a stock car is pretty heavy and it is more of a finesse. And so you have to stay under the tire rather than really pushing it really hard. So that was hard for me to kind of undo that because in my mind, you know, if you want to go faster, you just try it harder. But in our cars, you know, you actually have to be more precise and you have to be more calculated to find speed. It's not as easy. Um, but on the flip side, racing in NASCAR and stock cars is way more challenging than the other forms because you have so many guys that are so competitive and the cars are so equally matched that you're always racing side by side. You're always in traffic. You're always grouped up together where a lot of times in an open wheel car or in a sports car, you were just doing everything you could to make lap time. You weren't having to really race a lot. You still race, but you weren't racing somebody every single lap, every single corner. You were trying to catch that person or you were trying to pull away from a person. When you're in, when you're in NASCAR, you're always racing somebody always, you know? And so that, that was a, a different mindset and a, you know, it took me a little while to get used to. Yeah, it's amazing. I know, like, uh, I've, I've gotten into F1 a little bit in the last couple of years. And I mean, it's amazing that sometimes in those races, literally the first corner kind of decides the race and the rest yeah. of it's just kind of hoping somebody else has bad luck, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. It, it's, you're right. I mean, certainly, uh, yeah, NASCAR, it, it looks like uh, you're kind of the whole race, you're just out there fighting for that next spot. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like I said, I appreciate both because I've done both and um, I know how hard it is to stay focused and push yourself that hard to make lap time. Um, you know, a lot of times as a spectator watching Formula One, you go, oh man, they're not racing anybody. It's easy. But I, I understand how hard they're pushing to build those gaps or to maintain their spot. Um, and so they're just two different styles of racing. And, and so I, I've definitely learned to, uh, you know, appreciate both of them. Um, and so, yeah, it's, and I think too, you know, we were talking about, you know, RC cars is when, when I transitioned from, you know, radio control to the actual controls, um, it's amazing how your mind shifts gears. It felt the same to me. And so I know it sounds weird, but when, when I'm, when I am, you know, racing or driving a remote, I can also still, even though I'm visually doing it, I can see and feel the corner, the apex, like you would if you were driving. And, um, and so that, that was really interesting to me that, 
you know, it's, it all applies very similar. It's just, you know, the hand-eye coordination is actually very similar. You just, you lose a little bit of the feel um, when you're not actually sitting in the seat. Um, but it's really interesting how it works. And so the first time that it really all made sense to me in that regard of how they correlate is when I went on top of the, the racetrack to spot. I spotted for a friend of mine. We have spotters and the spotters, you know, are high above. Um, almost like when you're racing your RC car and you're standing in the deck and, um, you know, you're looking down over the track. And I'm like, I'm telling them what to do. And I'm like, man, all you have to do is give me a remote and I could do really well in this, you know, from up there. Cause you see the whole race so much better, you know, cause you're zoomed out from, you know, what you're used to seeing. Um, so it's really interesting to, uh, to experience both of those. Yeah, very that's cool. cool. Maybe that's what we should do, Steve. A full scale RC car. Maybe that's the next big thing for us. And we'll that, have to bring Michael in on exciting. that one to, to develop it. But, uh, yeah, an interesting yeah. fact for you guys, a lot of the a lot of the guys that do spot um are really successful RC guys too. Um and I think it, it does correlate, you know, being able to see the yeah. race and see what's unfolding and see where somebody's making lap time and how they're catching you. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how many of those guys up on the spotter stand actually still race RC cars. Uh, wow. Yeah. I never would have thought about that, but I guess it kind of makes sense to be able yeah. to have, to be able to, like you said, see the line, see what's working, see where the, everything is from a distance, you know, even depth perception. I think I have a depth perception issue that keeps me out of the, off the podium, even in <laughs> RC, but, uh, anyway, uh, but that, that's cool. Well, good. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit too. So when you were growing up, you know, who did you look up to, um, for inspiration? Yeah. So as far as racing goes, you know, because I was an open wheel guy and always following, you know, IndyCar and formula one, I was, I was, um, you know, I was a fan of a, a few guys, but Michael Schumacher was one of those guys that I always followed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mostly because, you know, he was able to win in every car that he sat in, even when he went to teams that, that weren't known as being successful. Um, so I always had, you know, an admiration for that. And then, um, and then, you know, just growing up, going to the racetracks, you always find a few favorite that you're pulling for. So, um, you know, in, in IndyCar, I was, I grew up an Andretti fan. And, um, and then as I was, you know, slowly transitioning into big cars, um, I was a Tony Stewart fan. And so watching him transition from Indy cars to stock cars was fun. Um, so those are guys that, you know, as far as a racing standpoint that I definitely, you know, followed and watched and was fans of, you know, as far as like inspiration and people I looked up to, you know, I think of my, you know, my father and my, my grandfather, um, you know, I learned a lot just in racing, but I learned a lot from them and I learned a lot about, you know, life and things that matter. And, uh, my, my grandfather had an automotive, um, machine shop and, and he also rebuilt automotive machinery, um, the equipment. So he sold it and rebuilt it. And so I, I spent a lot of my, you know, spare time and, and summertime, you know, in his garage, uh, you know, <laughs> rebuilding boring bars and hones and flywheel grinders and, and the oh, machines cool. that would, you know, do the work. And so, um, you know, those now as an adult, those are times I look back that were really, you know, impactful and influential. And, um, you know, and my dad was always self-employed, always ran a small business. He had a, um, a paper route in, in downtown Phoenix. And 
Um, and so our life was coins, you know, like every Monday <laughs> he would come home with, he looked like a bank robber. We'd have you know, bank bags full of coins and we had coin machines in our house and, and we would count, you know, we, we would count all the money and roll it into these real, you know, the paper rolls. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, just things like that, where it was really influential on like, you know, pennies and nickels and dimes add up to a lot. And, um, and so that, that kind of shaped, you know, how I had, you know, pers- you know, perspective on, on money and how things work. You know, I knew that if those, if those nickels and dimes didn't come, you know, we didn't eat. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of neat, you know, how, how your childhood shaped. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, was there anybody that's, you know, maybe in, in other racing, is there anybody out there today that you kind of like to, you like to follow or, uh, you know, you know a, obviously the NASCAR folks, you probably would rather, you know, be ahead of them than uh, yeah. admiring them. So maybe in other, other forms of racing or anybody you kind of like to follow along when you're not out on the track. Yeah. So I'm a fan of motorsports. You know, I like all motorsports, you know, so I, I'm a fan. I'm somebody, if I'm not at the racetrack, I'm watching racing too, you know, I'm watching on TV and yeah, I watch the IndyCar races. I watched Formula One races, you know, I watched the Xfinity races. So, you know, there's definitely guys that, you know, you pull for, but I think for me, what's changed as an adult is, and being in the sport, I don't care as much about the, their performance on track as I do like the character of the person. And so I'm more pulling for those guys that I know that are working really hard and, and, you know, aren't in the best positions or, you know, people that you've had, you know, just personal, you know, relationship with that you just, yeah. So it's kind of changed how I, you know, become a, you know, fan of somebody and, um, you know, you get to know people better. And, and so it's easier to root for people that, that, you know, um, but yeah, just, you know, I'm always, I guess that what I'm saying is I'm impressed with people that of high integrity and high character, um, less impressed with, you know, ability and results as I am with that, because I know in a professional world, um, not just sports, but a professional world, how hard it is to do both, um, to be Mm -hmm. successful and, and be a good person with, with high quality and high character and lead your family well and love your kids and your wife well. And I know that those are hard to do in a successful environment. Um, so yeah, so I, I appreciate more of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and certainly, you know, I, uh, I, I think that's, that's really awesome and really well said. And, and I think seeing, you know, and watching NASCAR, I mean, you guys are all really good. I mean, you know, you don't get to that level without being really good. And I know Steve, we even talk about, you know, at times it's not, you know, it's not what you do, but it's also how you do it. Um, and, and I, I think that's like you said, applicable, whether you're racing cars or, probably uh, doing any, anything's probably pretty I mean, good. So, and, and I will a, say, I mean, it was, Oh, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say that that's exactly how we run like team horizon, you know, for all of our sponsored pilots, we're more about the integrity and the character of the pilot than we are about your skill set. And that's just how yeah. horizons kind of always been when it comes to that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know I've been to the the track with some of our guys that are kind of our factory guys and, you know, they'll go on a Friday night just, you know, kind of for fun and their, their car never makes it to the track because they're, they're, they're helping 
other people and they're kind of off the clock, but you know, they'd rather help and see somebody else be successful and have fun and enjoy the hobby than, you know, do a few laps with their car. So it's, yeah. it's very cool. And you're right. I think, um, how people conduct themselves is really, really important. It's, I think, part of why we've enjoyed working with you so far. I mean, it was, it, it was great from the moment we kind of, we, we met you at New Hampshire. It was just obvious that, that you are a really caring person and we got to talk about your family and, and all that stuff. You had your cousin there with you when we had oh, dinner yeah. at the race. So yeah. in New Hampshire. So that was, that was pretty cool. Really showed kind of how your, uh, your family crosses over. It was cool to hear how close you guys are and have been throughout your careers. And so very cool. Um, what other advice? I mean, you're kind of giving a little bit of advice there to, to maybe even some people who may want to start uh, getting into professional racing. What other advice might you give somebody listening to this, some aspiring RC or kart racer who's, who wants to make it to NASCAR when they, when they get a little older? Yeah. You know, it's, um, you know, I get asked these questions a lot when it comes to like, especially kids and dreams and, you know, chasing your dreams and things. And, you know, it's, to me, it's really interesting because the, for, from an early age, I sort of knew what I wanted to do. And because of that, it's been pretty simple for me on, on how to get there, you know? Um, and so, you know, what I, what I tell people, because a lot of times people just want to be something because they've, they want to be it. And, you know, for me, I find that, and not so much for young kids, but for adults and for, you know, teenagers that are transitioning into the real world is you got to find your sweet spot. And so, you know, your sweet spot, I feel like, and if I could draw it, I would, but I don't have the screen to do it, is just your natural God-given, you know, skills, your gift, your gifting, like what you naturally are good at. Some people are really good at math. Some people are really good at um, sales and some people are good at videos and some people are good at, you know, building relationships and networking and some people aren't right. And so you take those things that come natural to you and then you take, you know, not just come natural, but I feel like that are, you know, what you're wired to do, like what God has given you to do. And so you draw that circle and then you take your life experience, you know, what you've done and, and the people that you're around and, and what that all has entailed. And so you take those life experiences, you take those natural um, God-given abilities and you merge those two. And right in the middle of that is a sweet spot of, you know, what you've learned through life experience and training and education and, you know, different different things that you've done, activities and your natural gifting. And so there's been a lot. And the reason I tell you that is because I wanted you to have some context to what I'm saying. I've had a lot of people be like, oh, my son wants to be a race car driver. And so I'll be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. Tell me what he's done. Well, he plays video games really well. And I'm like, OK, cool. That's awesome. And I'm not I'm not saying you can't because they're guys that are. But I'm not one of those guys that will be like, yeah, well, you just keep doing that. And one day it'll happen. Right. I like to tell him, well, if you really want to do this, you're going to have to drive something. Okay, well, I can't afford to drive something. Well, then you're going to go have to sweep the floors at the shop that's by you that does race cars. Well, then all of a sudden, it's not that cool to be a race car driver, right? And so I think that's, so my point being is I don't ever want to crush anybody's dreams. Um, you don't want to be a dream crusher because I'm living out my dream and they and dreams do come true. But you also want to take how somebody is, naturally wired their experiences and what they're good at and find their sweet spot. 
because being something it doesn't mean anything unless you're in that sweet spot you're never going to reach your potential and you're never going to be i don't want to say happy but you're never going to be fulfilled unless you're in that sweet spot and so trying to force somebody into that bubble never works and so i always i always like help parents because um there's a lot of people and you guys have probably seen it you know in in the remote world too that will spend so much money pursuing a dream for a child that's not really their dream it's their it's somebody else's dream or it's the parent's dream right and and i'm just like look if your kid doesn't want to do it do something else you know and enjoy something else right and so um motorsports is really tough it's unlike stick and ball sports it, it every sport in every profession takes a level of commitment and so i don't want to underplay that but stick and ball sports are very cut and dry is you know if i'm if i'm a 16 year old in high school and i can throw a 98 mile an hour fastball you know fairly consistently and regularly i'm going to have an opportunity to go play ball somewhere if you're really, really good at your local go-kart track and you're winning all the races, that does not mean that you have a shot to do anything else. And so those natural gift sets has to be marketing and business relationships and building something. Because if you don't have the partnership or the money to go racing, you can't do it. Nobody's just picking you up to go do it. And so it's different. It takes a different um mindset it takes more than just ability on the racetrack and so that's why it's not for everybody and for me i'm six foot tall and i still can't dunk so i knew that basketball wall wasn't going to be for me i would like it to be for me but i just can't jump and so i can spend five years doing all the workouts and all the stretches and all the band work and all that and i might get to the rim but I'm telling you, the guys that get to the rim are the guys that get to the rim at a very early age and have that natural ability. And so you have to cultivate that natural ability that you have into yeah. into what you you know you want to do. Yeah, that, that's yeah. so good, Michael. I know a, a, a person that I kind of look up to and talk a lot with mentoring wise told me once, you know, the worst advice we give young people is to follow your dream and do what you're passionate about. Do what you're good at first. Yeah. And then find a way to be passionate about it, because if you're good at it and you're passionate about it, then then you can be successful. And that's kind of that sweet spot that you're talking. That's about. right. And yeah. You're right. I say the same thing. I'm like, I would love to dunk. It's funny you mentioned that example because I always <laughs> use that exact one. You know, I would love to dunk. It is not going to happen. I, I gave up on that a long time ago. But, <laughs> you know, if you can find out in, in your passion, you may you're right. I mean, your passion may be, you know, being in business or or, you know, math. Um whatever it might be. So great advice um, for, for the young people listening out there. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, after talking to RJ and the, and the full scale world, it's interesting to see on the, even in the aerobatics world, it's kind of the same thing. You can be a really good pilot. You can know how to do loops and rolls and some low aerobatics, but it's very expensive to do <laughs> uh, shows and you got to be picked up by sponsors. Yeah. You got to know how to market yourself You've got to have almost every other skill other than flying to then make it into the flying world. Uh, and in RC, you know, on the I'm, I'm on the air side most of the time, as you guys know. And yeah, our uh, the top RC pilots in the world are are better marketers probably than they are pilots. <laughs> and that that comes down yeah. to you, know, you just you have to be good at the the whole gamut of things. You don't just have to have a 
cannon for an arm or, or you know the ability to dunk a, a basketball is really good advice so well um i guess transitioning a little bit i mean back to back to racing i know there's every time we talk to someone we always say you know what's your favorite this what's your favorite that but i know a lot of people would love to know you are a, a daytona champion but what would be your favorite track out there is there a specific track where you're like oh guys we're going to here we're going to kill it this time or it's yeah. just, or it happens to be your favorite which one is it yeah so um my favorite racetrack would be road america it's a road course in wisconsin yeah um part of it is the road courses are good for me and i've that was my background racing on, sure. on road courses so i've always enjoyed them um, but in racing, you know, that's, that, that question comes up a lot, you know, what your favorite racetracks are. And they're usually the ones that you do well at. Um, it's, and that actually changes is what I've found, you know, throughout my career is, you know, as rules change, as packages change, as teams change, you know, the tracks that I, I used to not be very good at some of them now I'm pretty good at and they've become, you know, my better tracks and vice versa. And so it's pretty <laughs> interesting to see. And I think it's because of the repetitiveness of our sport of, you know, we pretty much go to the same racetracks every year. And so when you have somewhat of a history, you can kind of see that those patterns and how they change. Um, but, you know, road courses are, are fun for me and they've always been fun and, you know, they're challenging and scenic and they're different than an oval track for sure. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Very good. Well, tell us a little bit about Front Row Motorsports, kind of how you ended up there and, and, you know, what it's like being part of the team at, with Front Row. Yeah, so, um, you know, how it, how it started was actually... I think it was 2010. So it was maybe, yeah, I think it was maybe 10 or 11. So okay. it was, it was quite, quite some time before I actually signed with the team. I did a one-off race, um, at Watkins Glen, uh, for front row and, and Bob Jenkins, the owner and I, you know, I would see him at the racetrack and, you know, we kind of just struck up a little bit of a friendship and, um, and he saw my road racing background and things like that. And, you know, I'd always run pretty well at those road courses, even when I was in, you know, sort of subpar equipment. And so he always kind of had this in the back of his mind of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run you in a race and we're going to do it right and see what happens. And so I did that and we did one race at Watkins Glen. We went and tested, we built a new car and, and, you know, really put it a solid effort into it. And, um, and that sort of is what kicked it off. We, we didn't have the best race. We qualified in the top 10. We were running in the top 10 and we had a park break. Um, but that was enough for Bob, I think, you know, to kind of, <laughs> he knew that day that we had a shot at it. And that was probably the first time in a long time that he's had a shot at it. And okay. so from that point forward, he had always been like very, um, you know, I would see him and he's like, man, one day you're going to drive for me. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I'd already have a deal with somebody else. And, um, and then, you know, just eventually worked out to where, you know, I was, um, I was at a, another small team. We sort of built it up, started running really well. And then I got replaced again. I got replaced by Casey Kane and that was really a tough deal. Um, not, not so much, um, other than the fact that we were doing so well. And there was this trend that I was having as like, you know, we would build a team up and we get to the place where we're running in the top, you know, 15 or 20. 
And then it would get to a level where I would get replaced. And it was like <laughs> weird how that it was happening, you know, um, you know, because two or three years ago, you know, Casey Kane would have never went, you know, to that race team because they were running 30th. They didn't have a real team, you know, like all the things. So um, that one was like, oh, man, how am I going to recover from this, you know, and having to start over? Um, but Bob was right in a transition with one of his drivers too. And so, um, you know, the timing just worked out to where, where when I needed a job, he had one available and we had talked about it for years, you know, just kind of kidding around and just, you know, having a loose conversation about it. Um, and then, you know, for me that, that sort of started the process again of building up. And, you know, I think that first year at front row, we were, you know, front row is a smaller team. I think we were running in the, you know, mid twenties, kind of just getting on our feet. And then, you know, the next year we were low twenties with some teens. And then the following year we were teens with some tens. And then this year we're tens with some fives and a win. And so um, it's been a really fun process and a transition, you know, of just growing and building the team. Um, and it hasn't gotten bigger. It's just gotten better. And so we haven't we haven't went out and hired like 50 new people. We just gotten right. better. And that, you know, unfortunately and fortunately, it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. You know, it's just um, it's been a slow process to build it to where we're at. But we've done it with, you know, our people in our group. And and so it feels like family at Front Row. Um, everybody's pulling you know, in the same direction. Um, just like family, there's a lot of dysfunction at times, you know, <laughs> um, but it's very transparent too. It's like sitting at the dinner table, you know, you get people that are getting mad and offended. Um, but at the end of the day, they're still having dinner and they'll have dinner again the next week. Um, it's a little bit like that where we don't always all, you know, crew chief and car chief and everybody, we don't always kumbaya and get along perfectly, but we're in a really safe and secure relationship where everybody can be themselves and be honest and transparent. And I think that makes us better, um, as a group. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been fun to be a part of it and, and see just, you know, just the, the success finally start to come and, and to do it with a, a good group of people. Yeah, and I know Steve and I both were lucky enough to come and participate in a race, or well, I guess we didn't really participate, but to, to be kind of behind the scenes with you guys, um, it, behind the pit wall, and, and the whole front row team was so awesome and so welcoming and, and warm and friendly, and it was, it was really fun to be part of. So I can only imagine, you know, working with that group all the time. Um, I did want to ask you a little bit. So we, we, uh, after we were started working with you, we sent you some Arma art cars to play with. And I guess, first of all, most importantly, you know, what was the reaction from your kids? Um, you have lots of great sponsors, but you know, they may have been a little more interested in, in maybe some of the Arma stuff. Um, you know, what, what was their reaction? Were they a little jealous that dad got some cool toys or were they excited? Yeah, it's been fun. No, it's, um, like you said, there's a lot of partnership stuff that we do that, you know, uh, it's just not that much fun for the kids. It's fun for me, um, but not always for them. You know, like uh, me giving them a Love's Travel Stop gas card, that doesn't do a whole lot for them. They don't really care. Um, but no, it, yeah, so it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. You know, my, I have four kids and my son, who's 12, um, he's probably the most into cars and but more than anything, 
he likes driving and driving something he enjoys, but he likes knowing how things work. And so, you know, RC cars are perfect for that because kids can work on them. Um, the physics and the functionality is very similar to a race car or, or a car, you know, like you can rebuild your shocks on an RC car and it's very similar to the process of rebuilding your shocks on a race car, just on a smaller scale. And so, um, so it's been fun for him to be able to, you know, well, one, he drives it, breaks it, and then he gets to fix it. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've, we've enjoyed it. And, um, I made, I made a poor decision. You know, I had, um, I had that felony and I'd been driving it for myself and I was, you know, I, I'd, you know, run it probably five or six times and just having fun. And my son was like, Oh, come on, let me drive it. Let me, I'm like, Oh no, it's too fast. You know, it's a lot of car. I don't know if you've, recently driven one but it's a lot of car there are a lot oh, a yeah. lot of car yeah. on that felony oh yeah and i yeah. let him drive it and it was i think i was leaving to go to something and i was like it's okay you can try it out don't hit anything and he didn't hit anything it wasn't broke when i got back but i have no tires left oh the yeah yeah completely bald <laughs> and uh, so he must have just sat there and did donuts for a really long period of time but um it's been a lot of fun and you know <laughs> This, this isn't a sales pitch because it probably goes against the sell pitch, but, um, the, the armor, you know, the trucks, the, the Cratons that I have, they, um, they're really tough. Um, but when you run them directly into trees at full speed, <laughs> something's going to break. And so, um, so we've had to do a lot of working on them, but it's been fun to do that together. Um, I, I'll tell you, it's not really funny. I didn't think it was funny, but um, the kids were racing out back. I set up a little track, a little off-road track and, um, and my middle daughter came in and she said, daddy, we need to go in the Creek. And I'm like, ah, I'm not going in the Creek. We're not getting our muds closed. We're not getting in the Creek. I kind of blew her off. But then like 10 minutes later, she's like, no, daddy, we need to go in the Creek. We need to get that car out. And I said, car? I'm like, yeah, Lucas, Lucas's RC car went in the Creek. And I'm like, it's in the Creek. And so, um, so we get our, we get our mud clothes on and we get our, you know, our water shoes on our mud shoes on. We go down in there and that thing is upside down in three foot of water. And it's been sitting there probably 25 minutes. And, you know, this is, you know, it's my first experience with these cars. And, and I'm like, I know a little bit about electronics and I know that this is bad. So I take it out of the creek we set it down and I was like, well, let's just see. And so I grabbed my, my, uh, my son's remote control. I turned it on and it fired right up and drove away. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So that was That's a real awesome. test right there. Yeah. I put up a little barrier so they can't get in the Creek now, but, um, yeah, I couldn't believe that it, you know, it, it fired right up and went. So. That's yeah. They're, tough they're really you. tough. Uh, yeah, Arma Tough. The team really goes out of their way to to have those things be as tough as possible. You're right. Physics still come into play. If you run well, into a tree, I, mean, I know or they're house, tough, but upside down in three foot of water, I thought there is no way. Uh, but yeah, it was good. So it's been fun. Um, yeah, I just got some some new parts and pieces to. Uh, I just got a, a GPS sensor uh, for that Limitless and uh, a few things like that. So, you know, at first I was just playing around and then I see everybody's like trying to get their top speed. And so now I'm going to start playing around with that now that I have GPS. But, um, 
Yeah. So I had to order some tires. That that's the biggest thing right now. We go through tires really quickly. Um, but I, I got a go-kart track out here in uh, Mooresville, North Carolina. So I'm going to bring, um, the felony and that, that limitless out there. It's probably a little bit too big for them. Um, but it'll be fun because the track's smooth. It won't be as hard on the tires and, and I'll be able to see how fast I can get them going. Yeah. I was going to ask Very if you cool. had that yeah. limitless on the- yeah, you'll have to definitely make a video of that. But I was going to yeah, ask, it, did you get too, the limitless? Oh, yeah, that was fun because you got we got to build that out, you know. Yeah. So my son and I, which was, you know, we had been we've been working on his, and you know, just as things happen, just fixing things up. Um, but the start from scratch was fun because it kind of helped him understand just how everything was functioning, rather than just replace parts that you know that need to be replaced. We actually could go through and figure out how everything works. So. Um, yeah, it was, it didn't take very long though, either too. It was probably, probably less than an hour and we had it up and running. So it was good. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what about the team guys? Uh, any of those, uh, we like to call them, you know, grown kids. Uh, but it seems like, you know, when you get, especially a group of guys together and you, you know, you have a car that'll go 80 miles an hour or a monster truck. Uh, it seems like we all turn into 12 year old boys, uh, what any of your uh, crew guys? It seemed like when I was in New Hampshire, a lot of them were uh, were you know already kind of into it and knew, yeah. knew a lot about uh, yeah. the cars. That was really cool. Yeah, I, we have a lot of guys that are into it. I stopped bringing them to the shop though because we weren't getting much work done. Um, yeah, so it's a lot of fun, but usually it creates a crowd in a circle. And um, but yeah, my you know I think that in racing in general, most people that are in racing, at least in NASCAR and in the garage at some point race something, you know, themselves, right. you know, um, not everybody is, you know, a driver, right. But at some point, you know, they grew up racing go-karts and then, you know, it turned out that they were mechanically inclined or they're engineering or went to school. And so everybody in motorsports, it feels like in our, our little team has raced something. And so those guys are, they love driving RC cars because it kind of gets them back into that mode and that feel um, where, you know, it's different when you're working on it all the time and then turning it over to somebody else to drive. It's fun when you get to do the driving as well. So yeah, it's been good. We've um, we've had a good time with it and the guys, you know, we have a couple guys too that fly planes, you know, at our oh, shop. Cool. And so they were like, that was what they were super excited about. We got a couple guys at the <laughs> shop that do helicopters and do planes um, and I've always been pretty afraid of that stuff. I have a couple friends that are good at it. And when I was, uh, a few years ago when, when Juan Montoya was racing in the cup series, he always had, you know, a helicopter yeah. or something like that in the driver owner lot. And, you know, I would see him and he's got these cool little boxes and he's tinkering and tinkering and tinkering. Um, and so, yeah, so those have always been a little bit intimidating, but now I hear you know, they have it set up to where, um, not completely, um, dummy proof, but pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Although Steve Wan's yeah. a pretty good pilot. I, I, I think so. He's, <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he really spends a lot of time with it. He's a, a great friend of horizons and oh, is, cool. is a pretty serious pilot. I was at the Indy Grand Prix with him a couple of years ago and like an hour before the race, he's talking about this new jet he got. And I was so nervous because I was like, you should be getting ready for the race. But <laughs> I, I think he was kind of enjoying, you know, not, I guess you have, you probably have to switch your mind into that and don't want to do yeah. it until it's, it's time. And yeah. so he was going on and on about this new jetty, but it was, it was pretty cool to talk to him. So um, 
Well, real quickly, what we like to do, because um, we're, we're, we're running out of time here, um, what we like to do as we kind of start to wrap things up is we like to just kind of give you a bit of an open mic, um, Michael, to just talk about anything you want, promote anything you want, um, anything, any advice you want to give, but just kind of hand the mic over to you and, and let you speak to whoever might be listening to the podcast here before we wrap up. Yeah, well, that's unusual. I don't normally do that or get that. So uh, I feel like I'm a little bit on the spot. But um, yeah, for me, you know, I think that um, one is the the partnership has been awesome. And I've been really thankful to work with you guys. And it's cool to introduce new fans to our sport and vice versa. Um, so, you know, especially with your guys' following and with Arma's following, you know, a lot of those, those guys, you know, and gals that love, love driving RC cars, um, you know, started following us. So that's been fun, you know, to have some new fans and, and create, you know, some new opportunities to show people our sport and vice versa. So that's, that's been fun. And two, for me, it's been fun just to kind of relive my childhood a little bit, you know, growing up racing RC cars and, and also tinkering, right? Like I grew up in my grandfather's automotive shop and grew up working on go-karts, grew up working on RC cars. So to have my kids now engaged in that and doing that with me has been, been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, like for me, when you ask, you know, what would I want to talk about or what I would want to share is my, for me, like for, 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 me being a father, the greatest thing that we have and the greatest legacy is being a father is our kids. That's what we leave behind. Um, and so having activities, having hobbies, having moments to do things with them, to help them build character and help them, you know, navigate life and have something that not distracts them, but gives them an opportunity to grow and uh, develop because there's so many kids and that when you, for me, it's becoming alarming of like being inside, being glued to the TV, being glued to the iPhone, being glued to the tablet of just get outside and enjoy something with your kids. And, um, and, you know, that's the greatest impact we have. You know, I, I can get wrapped up in, you know, all the things that, everybody else can get wrapped up in and being a NASCAR driver is awesome when the Daytona 500 is awesome. But if I do all that stuff well and fail as a father or fail at leading my kids, then I have missed the mark. And I think that for a lot of us, it's just keeping the eyes on, on what's important. And, um, and career is an element of importance, but it's not the most important thing. And, um, and it's a balance. I know it is, you know, like for me, I, I separate some things, but I don't separate my family and my job because my job is how I provide for my family. So if I love my family, well, I do my job well. Um, but there's so much more that I could, and I do try to pursue that really has nothing to do with my job that I could be giving that time in that space to my family. Um, so just prioritizing, you know, what it, what it means to have family time, you know, people always talk about quality and quantity and, um, and I know this will get some kickback and that's okay. Um, but what I've learned is, uh, quantity is quality. If you only focus on quality time and you don't have a quantity of time, you don't have quality time. And so the more you're doing with your kids, the longer you do it, the more quality time you'll have 
organically, naturally, it'll just happen. Um, so quantity is quality. And so just the more time we can spend with them, the better. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, well said. I mean, I, I, this is exactly what we do. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we kind of say we're in the experience and memory business, you know, it's, we come out with products, but those aren't really the end goal. It is, it's, it's the quality, it's the quantity, it's, it's time with your, your grandparent or your kids, your best friend, whatever, you know, club you're in is what we do. So, um, thank you for saying that so well, thanks for being such a great partner with us here in this first season. It's been wonderful. You're, this has been great talking to you. You've been such a, a good ambassador for, for the RC hobby, getting some of our message out to a much broader audience. We really appreciate it. And, um, we wish you well here in the playoffs and, uh, uh, hope you and the, the kids continue to enjoy the Arma cars, whether they're above the waterline or below it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, but, thank, uh, you so much. Th thank you for your time today. Thanks for, uh, for joining Steve and I. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You too.